Hey there, and welcome to the Jimmy's Table podcast at jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey. I'm curiously evangelical, politically homeless, and a dreamer of small things. On this podcast, I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. So if you have honest questions, aren't afraid to have difficult conversations, and want to have a little fun along the way, then pull up a chair. This podcast is for you. So I'm back. Sorry for my unannounced vacation. Kind of went on uh, out of town and watched a Hurricanes game up in Raleigh. I uh, went with a buddy of mine and met up with some friends and had a good weekend and just didn't get around to recording a podcast. So I decided, you know, I need to take a, a vacation from podcasting for a week. But hey, here I am. I'm back. Jimmy'sTable.com, episode 143, where today we're going to talk about the controversies surrounding Leah Thomas, a transgender athlete who recently won some NCAA women's swim competitions. The episode today is called What's on the Outside Matters Too, a, Transdi- a Transgender Discussion, episode 143. So, in case you've not been glued to the news and heard some stuff, there is an athlete by the name of Leah Thomas. Leah is a transgender athlete who recently won some NCAA women. Women's swim competitions looks like at the time of this recording she's going to win some tournaments. Uh, not exactly sure how all that's structured, but uh, you know Leah is is doing quite well at her swim meets and really uh, making a splash in the pool and just you know completely destroying the competition. Leah Thomas was born as a biological male, but in the last couple under couple years understood herself to all of a sudden be female. Since then, she has begun transitioning and is going through some hormone therapy as part of that process and changing into a woman. Leah Thomas's winning of the NCAA swimming competitions hasn't been without much controversy, to say the least. Many view her as having a natural competitive advantage since, biologically, Leah Thomas is still a male and has spent most of her life as a male. Leah Thomas went from being a low-ranking swimmer in the NCAA men's field to among the best of the women swimmers while she's going through her transition. She's been winning many of her matches rather decisively. Um, And naturally speaking, controversy has broken out and the culture wars are inflamed. In today's podcast, in light of the discussion taking place about transgender athletes, among other issues, I thought it was time for me to kind of wade into this topic. I've been wrestling through, um, for some time, my thoughts about transgender individuals um, and what all that means, and I thought I'd offer some top, some thoughts of my own on it, because so far as I know, some of what I have to offer today or original observations of the topic, at least so far as I've been able to find out, which of course means somebody somewhere else has probably said it better than I have. Because <laughs> there are no original thoughts at the end of the day, right? But, you know, these observations that I've come to observe and conclusions I've made, you know, they definitely feel new to me in the circles I run in. And I've tested some of these ideas amongst uh, some friends who, you know, aren't some rather broad circles out there. And they've given me some feedback about it. Um, And some of them have definitely said, this is new to me. Um, So whatever you think about these issues and whether these issues are new or old or, you know, whatever it is, I hope in today's podcast at least give you something to think about regarding all this. You may already have some pretty strong opinions on the matter, 
but I had asked kindly just that you, you know, hear me out. My podcast today won't be a full exploration of this very controversial topic. It is just a podcast after all. Um, but, you know, this is me just simply wrestling, wrestling with the topic. And in many ways, I'm using this podcast episode today as a way to think out loud. Um, this is not an issue I've talked about too much in a public setting. As, as, you know, I used to be kind of bombastic about it years ago. But over time, I kind of eventually realized that, you know, this is the kind of discussion that you have to be careful about. Because there's a lot of emotions around it. It's a very charged topic that people feel very passionate about. Um, But I simply wish at this time to offer some of the things I've been thinking about these issues. And I hope that it can lead to a better critical and constructive discussion. I remain very open to having constructive discussions that challenge my thinking on these issues. Um, And, you know, I hope you remain open to it, too. And if you do, and you like what I hear or you hate what I have to say today, email me, jimmy at jimmystable.com, or you can reach out to me at Facebook or Twitter. For links for that, go to jimmystable.com, and you can find links to the podcast there. So... I've largely refrained from engaging in too much public discourse over the topic in recent years because, you know, at the end of the day, I do want to be sensitive about the issue as best I can. I've known transgender people. I've worked with transgender people. And some of my closest friends, while not transgender, do have family members that identify as trans. And I have good friends within the LGBTQ community whom I have also talked about this issue with. And interestingly enough, to my surprise, throughout all these conversations, I've learned that, you know, it's kind of presented in in pop culture and the news and the media and, and among many activists that there's this sort of uniform and monolithic agreement among the LGBTQ community um, as to what you are supposed to think regarding these issues, regarding transgender issues. But I've actually learned there's actually a variety of thought within that community. And it's not as monolithic and uniform as some might would have you to believe. Some have some very deeply creedal, religious-like views on this topic. Um, And I've found that, uh, you know, people in this community don't necessarily, you know, ascribe to those creeds. So, you know, there's room for diversity of thought. Um, within the community, and you know, being that I am not an LGBTQ individual, I think there's room um, for discussion as, as an outsider as well. For example, and I just want to give this as an example, I want to refrain from saying any names to keep their names protected, but I have a friend who is somebody that would probably be considered by many to be pansexual, whose father identified as a woman, and whose father was also a local leading political activist for transgender right issues here in Charlotte. And I'm not going to put words in my friend's mouth, but shockingly, shockingly to me, my friend and her lesbian girlfriend were not exactly on board with a transgender father's perspective regarding trans issues. My friend has been quite actually outspoken about their disagreements, 
And whatever their perspectives are, right or wrong, whether you, you know, I'm not going to hash those out here and now, um, I thought it was simply worth noting that not everybody who identifies with being in the LGBTQ community sees eye to eye on these topics. So I think if there's not eye to eye agreement within the community about these things, then, you know, maybe there's also room for discussion on the outside and discourse for that. So, apparently these days, it's controversial to say that there's differences between boys and girls. In fact, there would be those who would actually assert that there is no difference between boys and girls. And I know it may not be fashionable politically to say this, but I think it needs to be said out loud a little bit more often. And it's true. There are differences between boys and girls, between men and women. And while men and women are equals in the eyes of God and natural law, just because there's some sort of shared equality doesn't mean they are in fact the same. Physically, psychologically, and socially, men and women are in fact... I know this may come as a shock to some of you, but maybe not others. They're different. And I think, though, we need to be comfortable saying that out loud, and not just as a punchline in a family TV comedy or something like that, but as a statement of objective fact. And it's a statement, though, that, you know, it's not always fashionable or comfortable for people to say. It's almost kind of like, man, difference between boys and girls, men and women? What kind of bigot are you? Like... You know, it's, there's that perspective out there. But I worry that if we can't agree that there's indeed differences between men and women and boys and girls, that will be forever lost in some level of Dante's hell. <laughs> it's just that simple. Because the fact of the matter is, it's hard for people to say these things out loud without possibly being ridiculed by others as unenlightened. And this kind of idea shows how fundamentally different people are about understanding the world that we live in. And we live in the same world, apparently. People get offended over this notion, though. Not because it's not factually true, but because a lot of people have adopted kind of a squishy philosophical perspective of the world that struggles with things that are a bit more let's say, concrete. I think it's important to call out this observation, and let me really underscore this point. It may be a little wordy, but I think it's worth saying. It's kind of loaded, so hear me out. This postmodern person that exists today with much of our pop culture-driven and politically fashionable views on gender, in my opinion, have embraced a sort of quasi-gnostic Manichaean dualism of a worldview that sees a lack of harmony between what's happening on the inside of us versus what's happening externally outside of us. I know, <laughs> that's a mouthful. And I'm not going to sit here and break down that full statement. Some of you may recognize those words like Manichaean and Gnostic and things like that, postmodern. If you know the terms, don't worry about it. If you don't know the terms, don't worry about it. Let's just, let's just break this down a little bit, though, so, we can, so you can understand what I mean by that, whether you think you understand me or whether you are just, at this point, totally lost about what I said. 
The prevailing popular perspective regarding transgenderism ultimately makes a sharp division between the inner and outer man, between the mental and the physical, the mind and the body, between the spirit and the flesh. And instead of seeing a person holistically, that is, a person is the sum of everything that they are, this perspective sees people as having separate levels of being that don't function in harmony with one another and, and are not congruent. As a result, people are capable of seeing part of themselves as male, part of themselves as female, or as existing on some fluid spectrum in between in which a battle between the inside and the outside are taking place in one person. Like I said, this is kind of a Gnostic and Manichaean view of the world. It's a dualism. And there can be no doubt, though, whatever the case, that in spite of all that, you know, dualistic sort of stuff and philosophy claptrap, at the end of the day, let's just level. People sincerely feel these things. Except perhaps maybe some frat boys pulling a prank in college. I don't know too many guys who wake up one day and simply decide that they are going to start identifying as a woman. Usually a trans person goes through quite the journey as they wrestle with their sense of identity and place in the world. There's a lot of spiritual, emotional, physiological, familial, and cultural struggles transgender people go through as they form their sense of identity. And as, as I've tried to empathize with people who are in that world and people who have those feelings, you know, I've sat there and thought, man, I can't even begin to imagine what that's like. I can't simply imagine that as a struggle of feeling that like on the inside, I'm the wrong or on the outside, I'm not what I am on the inside. Like this, this struggle where I'm a man trapped in a woman's body or vice versa. I just, I can't imagine what it must be like to have such feelings um, and to have to wrestle with such as I live out my life. But you know, that's a struggle that I believe some people genuinely feel every single day. Interestingly enough, so far I've, as I've been able to understand the issues though, there's not really much in the way of empirical scientific proof that supports the claim of transgender individuals' feelings and perspectives about themselves. Science recognizes that people are biologically born as male, female, or an intersex hermaphrodite. Those are certain biological realities, and those are backed by empirical science that can be observed and replicated in the lab. Transgender people, however, aren't making a scientific claim based on hard science. They are making a feeling-based claim that has yet to be concretely identified by anything resembling hard science. Scientifically, there is no more proof that you are transgender than there is proof your favorite color is red. You cannot tell someone is transgender by brain scans, DNA testing, or any such other thing. To find out if somebody is transgender, at the end of the day, the only way you can know that is simply to ask them who they are and to ask them in the same way you find out somebody's favorite color. Because that's the only way to identify a transgender person, to simply ask them if they are. There's no objective, scientific, empirical way to find out what gender they identify as 
any more than there's a scientific or an empirical way to find out if somebody's favorite color is red. Obviously then though, saying all that, something complex is definitely going on with a person regarding their sense of identity. They genuinely feel transgender in the same way I genuinely believe my favorite color to be red. And you know, at the end of the day, I can't explain why my favorite color is red. That's Somebody asked me one day, and that's just how I feel. <laughs> and it's as simple as that. And perhaps I came to like the color red for a variety of reasons. I kind of sit, tried to sit there and think, well, maybe is there a reason I can explain, you know, in my mind, why I love the color red? And I got to thinking, well, perhaps I came to like the color red because I loved my mom's spaghetti sauce growing up. And that red reminds me of one of my favorite foods. And one of my favorite foods reminds me of mom. <laughs> so therefore, and it's just a guess, total conjecture on my part, me doing some sort of psychoanalyzing of myself and why I think the way I do about things because, well, sometimes I do things like that to myself. That's, that's why I theorize maybe I like the color red. I have no real way of knowing, but nobody else does either for that matter. As far as I'm concerned, my favorite color is indeed red. Although, ironically, if you were to come look through my closet and look at my wardrobe in my house and, and look at things in my house, you'd probably find that there's actually not a lot of red laying around. In fact, you'd probably find there's more blue than anything else. Um, but indeed, my favorite color is red. And, and why is that? Well, who knows? It's probably complicated and your guess is as good as mine. And likewise, in this same spirit... I'm going to assume that somebody identifying as transgender has a very complex reason as to why they do such. But they do so from a genuine and sincere place. And they may not know why they feel that way. But they feel that way they do. And there are simply people out there, whether you'd like to admit it or not, and this is something I wrestle with, who genuinely feel that they are a gender other than their biological sex. There are people who genuinely feel that they are a man trapped in a woman's body, or vice versa. And I think at the end of the day, because of that, because of the genuineness of that feeling, we need to learn to be charitable to such individuals. Such individuals are obviously having a very real, and I don't know where I get this phrase from, but I heard it once, human experience. And having this human experience they need to be respected as people who are on a journey, just like the rest of us. So there's no need to be cruel, rude, or frank to such persons. Your rudeness isn't going to help such people out at the end of the day, or where they are in life. Could you imagine if people treated you rudely over your like of the color red? Maybe some people do. I don't know. Um, but could you imagine if that's what your thought about, if you thought yourself regarding your gender, that you were transgender, and if somebody treated you cruel over, or, over that, just imagine if they treated you as cruel over liking the color red. It's about as senseless of a thing as can be done. So, at the end of the day, I've come to the personal conclusion, and this may be controversial, especially since, you know, I'm an evangelical Christian, but I've come to the place in my life where if somebody out there wants to be addressed by another pronoun, I'm going to be merciful to them. And I'm going to treat them the way they want to be treated. 
I'm pretty sure Jesus said something about that, right? Treat others as they'd want, as you'd want to be treated, right? So I want people to treat me well. I'm going to treat other people well. I don't want somebody to be rude or cruel or frank to me, even if I'm somewhat delusional, especially if I'm somewhat delusional about my perspective of the world. Then I want people that would be especially kind to me because, you know, the last thing you want to do is to make somebody who maybe have some sort of sense of delusions. And I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, I'm not necessarily saying transgender people are delusional, but let's just say you were, and, and such people are. Well, being cruel and rude to them is not going to help them with whatever they're going through, is it? So be kind to them. And if they want to be addressed by another pronoun, be merciful to them. And I didn't like English in high school or college. And the last thing I want to do at the end of the day is fight somebody over their preferred pronouns when talking to them. I'm just going to treat them kindly, respectfully. If they are a man that wants to be addressed as a woman, fine. If, if, if they were born Tommy but want to be addressed as Tiffany, fine by me. I'll do that. I don't see that as such a big deal. I don't see that as participating in some sort of lie or false belief system. I just believe that's meeting people where they're at and treating them kindly and saying, you know, I'm probably not going to solve your, help solve your identity issues and whatever conversation I'm having with you that's probably entirely unrelated. So I'm just going to address you by however you want to be dress, addressed, simply as a common courtesy. And, and in this conversation, you know, it's frequently said that gender is a social construct. If so, then I think we also must have, and people say this specifically about men and women, well, gender is just a social construct. And they like, you know, it's some great talking point, apparently. And whether you believe it or not, let's just concede for the matter that gender is a social construct for the sake of argument. And if it's a social construct regarding men and women, then it also must be admitted that non-binary genders, transgender individuals, are also a social construct, just as their male and female counterparts are. And if we are talking then at the end of the day about social constructs, that means we are ultimately not just talking about concrete things, but we are talking about the world of ideas. And ideas at the end of the day don't simply come from nowhere. Ideas are built upon axiomatic assumptions and philosophical filters by which we understand the world and navigate our lives. At the end of the day, yeah, we may have our facts and figures, but we still have some very baseline, unproven philosophical assumptions by which we navigate the world, things that we intuit things by which we approach the world and understand as a matter of reflex, things that people didn't have to prove to us, but we just assume are philosophically true and not up for discussion. <laughs> Unless you want to discuss those, those ideas, of course. But generally speaking, when you get to axiomatic type assumptions, you're getting to things that should just appear quote-unquote self-evident, that don't warrant or, you know, if you have to sit there and pick it apart, we're probably not going to ever reach the same point. Because if you're not making those fundamental assumptions about the world, like, for example, um, these truths are self-evident that all men are created uh, equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, you know, things like that. Those are axiomatic assumptions that most of us make that 
by which we approach the world that we just assume are true by instinct. And in saying such, if gender ideas are ultimately a social construct, these are ideas are based on individual concepts that we have about ourselves as well as how others conceptualize us. Our identity isn't just the thoughts at the end of the day that we have about ourselves and, and the self-realization and self-actualization that we have. Rather, our identity is how we think about ourselves and how we think about it in relation to others. And this, this point is very important at the end of the day, I believe, to keep in mind. Identity is ultimately a two-way streak. And in many circles, I believe we fail in this regard. We think of identity as, well, who do you say you are? Okay, well, if you say you're that, then you're that, because who knows you better than you, of course, right? There's our own sense of personal identity, though, and how we think about who we are. But there's also, I believe, our social identity, about how other people think about who we are. Unfortunately, these two perspectives don't always agree, and they don't always align. And I use this as kind of a hilarious example, but let's take, for example... All the contestants on American Idol who thought they could sing. Only to find out everyone else thought otherwise. <laughs> they conceived of themselves as having this wonderful musical talent and singing ability. And they genuinely thought such. And when they would sing, they really thought, hey, I sound good. And they genuinely thought they might have a chance at being the next American Idol. Until they got on stage in front of Simon Cowell and all those other people who ultimately burst their bubble and allowed a harsh reality to sink in. And it seems to us rather hilarious because, you know, at the end of the day, when it came to shows like American Idol, when it comes to shows like American Idol or Who's Got Talent and all those other shows, how could a person not realize they have a bad singing voice, right? How could you not realize that about yourself? But you know, <laughs> this is something I kind of identify with. While I have no dreams of ever becoming a musical star, at the end of the day, inside me, I feel like I have a decent singing voice within a certain vocal range. I, I admit on the inside that I'm not going to be hitting Mariah Carey's uh, high notes, but part of me is like, you know, I think I can carry a tune or two. Unfortunately, though, I've learned over the years I'm the only person who thinks this about myself. <laughs> For some reason, there's simply a blind spot in my own sense of identity regarding my singing ability. For some reason, I just can't hear myself the same way others hear me. I'm kind of, I think I've discovered, I'm kind of tone deaf at the end of the day. And, you know, when you sit there and think about it, though, all of our voices, though, they ultimately sound different to us in our own heads than how it sounds out in the rest of the world. And just think about, for example, the first time you ever listened to a tape recording of your voice or heard yourself on a video camera or something and, and you were shocked at the first time you heard your recorded voice played back to you and you're like, what? I don't sound like that, do I? <laughs> or maybe you're like, man, I, I, I have such a deep manly voice. I you know, have a, have a nice, have a nice timbre to my voice. It's, it's very attractive. It's, it's a very appealing voice. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, 
But your perception about your voice is, is ultimately very different than how other people perceive your voice. So much so, people actually become mortified about how they sound to others than when, and when they actually hear themselves. And at the end of the day, I've come to the conclusion that while I enjoy singing, and when I sing, I sing with all the enthusiasm that I can muster, and other people hear my voice in the process because I'm kind of naturally loud on top of it, nobody at any time in my life has ever thought I even re remotely sound decent when I sing. In fact, I remember singing in a children's church type of setting once Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and my pastor, who was a professional musician and played at the Grand Ole Opry and all that sort of stuff once upon a time, he had a good laugh at it from the platform of the church and said, Ha, Jimmy, that was almost in tune. <laughs> so that's where I am with singing. And as much as I enjoy singing at the end of the day, most people would just wish I'd stop. So I tell this story, this self-deprecating story and somewhat embarrassing, kind of as an illustrative point. I think it's the way, though, I think this feeds, though, into our issues with identity at the end of the day, including that of gender, and especially as it relates to transgender issues. Because how you perceive yourself is one thing, but how others perceive you can be quite another. And as much as we'd like to really know, think we know ourselves, as much as we'd like to think we really know ourselves and have a good sense of who we are as people, who better to tell you about Jimmy than Jimmy? The fact of the matter is there are people out there who don't have a full picture of themselves. For they can only hear the voice inside their own head. And as people fond to tell somebody that our would-be American Idol contestants, at the end of the day, that voice just ain't right. You may think you sound pretty on the inside, but the rest of us don't agree. You may think you were a woman on the inside, or you may think you're a man on the inside, but what about other people are seeing and hearing? When they interact with you, how do you present to them? I personally believe when it comes to transgender issues, we live in a world that has ultimately idolized individualism. And because the end-all and be-all of our humanity has become living out whoever we think ourselves to be, living quote-unquote our truth and quote-unquote being our authentic self, when individuals like Leah Thomas, who was born a biological male, chooses to compete with biological females, it really becomes hard for people to say why this shouldn't be allowed in our culture. Because the perspective of others regarding Leah Thomas's gender and who she is simply doesn't matter to a lot of people in our world. It doesn't matter who others believe Leah Thomas to be. Because to a lot of people, it only matters who Leah Thomas believes herself to be. And the identif individual identity of Leah Thomas ultimately is made to reign supreme. All other perspectives be damned. And as a result, if others interpret Leah Thomas as a biological man beating the crap out of some women in sport, that perspective is considered not only unfashionable, but bigoted by many. 
But such a perspective is an idea that can only exist, I believe, and when we understand ourselves in a very dualistic fashion. It's a world where all we believe what's on the inside of you is ultimately who you truly are. And we don't allow anybody else but you to tell you that. And ultimately, it's a perspective that's outside of all external considerations, like biological ones, for example, <laughs> which ultimately must be made subject and brought into the conformity with someone else's individual sense of internal identity and narrative. So it doesn't matter if you think I'm a man, or it doesn't matter if you think I'm a woman. All that matters is what I think about me, right? The rest of you, your opinions simply don't matter because I reign supreme. Or I get to decide who I am. But this creates a dualism. And I believe many are trying to embrace who they truly are, but in the process, end up in fact denying what they actually are. For in shunning their physical biology, or treating it as some sort of mistake, they are simply splitting themselves in two and saying what's on the inside is the truth and the outside is a lie. And instead of truly accepting themselves for who they are both inside and out, some transgender people attempt to correct their bodies by mutilating their genitals, having cosmetic surgery to create fake body parts, and undergo extensive hormone therapy treatments. And not only this, they attempt to make other people identify them by who they perceive themselves to be on the inside. And those people can usually only see what's on the outside. And they do this because of a dualism in their philosophy and understanding of themselves in this world, a world in which they not only feel the need to change their bodily form through extreme medical practices and mutilations, but demand others recognize them in a way that's not congruent with how others intuitively perceive them based off external observations and interactions. I ultimately contend that it's not healthy for people to think about themselves this way or in relating to others. You are a whole person, inside and out. You are all that. And you're, as a person, complex, though, and mysterious. And we must not forget that when we relate to others. And we must not operate through some broken dualistic filter in the process. How we should ultimately choose to relate to transgender individuals in our society and the degree to which they should be able to do things like compete in sports or use public bathrooms of the gender they identify with instead of the biological sex they were born? I think it's an interesting discussion worth having. And I think there's probably more middle ground than people often realize. But before we do these things, we need to start to acknowledge simple truths. And the truth, the truth of the matter is, what happens outside of our heads matters too. People are what they are on the inside, but people are also what they are on the outside. And when we formulate our sense of identity, or when we think about who other people are, 
we cannot afford to be blind to the whole person inside or out. Unfortunately, though, I think much of this discussion is often only framed from one side or the other. So everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, Jimmy'sTable.com, episode 143, What's on the Outside Matters Too. If you've enjoyed this podcast, be sure to like it on Apple and Spotify and all the other places that you can like it. Leave a glowing five-star review. Share it with friends. Share it with families. Keep a discussion going. Ask other people, hey, what do you think about this? And if you've really enjoyed this, not only should you share this, but I would encourage you, if you've yet to subscribe to this podcast, go to jimmystable.com slash subscribe and you can find your favorite way to subscribe to this podcast. Everybody, I hope you've enjoyed this discussion. It's been a tough one, and I think there are some very difficult issues that we all have to face when it comes to issues regarding gender and discussion, especially as it relates to transgender issues. So give this some thought. Think about this. Chew it on it. If you have to listen to the podcast a second time to get it all in, listen to the podcast a second time to, to get it all in. Like I said, if you, you feel like you have something to contribute to the discussion and want to talk to me about it, email me, jimmy at jimmystable.com. Everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, jimmystable.com, where I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. Take care, everybody. God bless. Have a good one. And hopefully, I'll see you next week. That's all I have to say about that. That's the right on, man. You said it all. <laughs>